Hello, this is Pastor Gordon Runyon from Emmanuel Baptist Church in Tucumcari, New Mexico. I'm pleased to present to you this recording of a session at our Freedom Conference 2016. Our featured speaker was Mr. Bojidar Marinov. May you be richly blessed as you listen. Amen. Okay, so our question and answers. The first question I have is... Uh, so in regard to public schools, what about, what about special programs, etc.? That's all that's written, but I'm thinking, what about instances where the schools are offering a service that like a single mom can't provide for a homeschool kid or something like that? Do you have anything to say about that? Right. Uh, now, I'm not dogmatic uh, uh, about it. Now. What we need to do is we need to start pulling our kids out of that. Actually, it's, it's too late. Uh, not too late, but it's kind of you know late. It, that process has been started like 50 years ago, I think. But I know there will be some time gap between the moment you make that decision and the moment you, you actually pull your kids out of the public schools. There may be some times when, like a single mom, she needs to find ways to, to do that. Now. We had a similar situation in another church where, <clears throat> in fact, it was uh, right at that immigration conference. And, and uh, actually, the same church, but another time, I'm sorry. And she came out and she said, she said I'm, I'm, I'm ashamed to say that I believe in homeschooling, but I'm a single, mo a single mom. She just got divorced. Her husband left her, uh, and, uh, and she, she had a daughter. And she said, I want to homeschool my daughter. Uh, and it was in Texas, South Texas, in the valley, so she was Hispanic, which makes it even tougher for her because Hispanics don't have that community of homeschoolers that, you know, uh, Christians of, uh, like white Christians have. I shouldn't say that, but it's um, in the church, it was an admirable effort by the church. Several women from the church helped that woman by building kind of a co-op that they were able to, uh, uh, they were able to in, in, in involve her child in that. So she, she would be able to go to work during the day, and at the end of the day she would come back home and, and the child would be. So they created some kind of an environment for her. And for a while they were still not sure what to do, so the child was, not, uh, was still in the public school. And now she, she homeschools through that co-op. So um, usually ladies are pretty good at that, to be honest. Once, once they get uh, their minds on it, they, they, they are able to create that community that educational community for kids. Because to be honest, it's not just the educational community, it's that interaction interaction between teachers and students and especially between homeschool kids that, that they can help each other. Um, and I've seen it with my kids uh, and so on. It was tougher in Bulgaria where we didn't have that community. Now there is a community of homeschoolers in Bulgaria, but it, uh, there wasn't in those days. But you can all work to create that thing so that even if you don't have people like that right now, but you can all start working on building at least a skeleton for it. So when somebody comes to your church and says, okay, I want to homeschool my child, but, but I'm in a, such a situation, what do I do? And you have a ready answer. I tell you what, the moment you, get, you tell her, I got an answer for you, you have a member forever. You have a member of your, of your church for life. All right, very good. Uh... This one, it might be hard for you to narrow this down. Uh, what saddens you the most about where America is today, either in terms of culture or government? The tolerance to the pulpits. This is what saddens me the most. Because I know this country was built on the pulpits, and we're too tolerant 
to imposters in the pulpits. I, I, I should say tolerant. We're too encouraging to them. We're talking about billion of dollars every year. Yeah. All right. Here's one. Uh, is it a sin to accept Social Security? <clears throat> no, it's not a sin to accept Social Security. The sin there is not in 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 taking it. Okay. I got I got to make that clear. Now, if that has strings attached, you better not accept it. If that has strings attached that that makes you not capable of resisting the government, you better not take it. But biblically, and I'm I'm going to the law here, biblically taking that money is not a sin. What's sin is taking that is the government taking that money from the people to whom the money belongs. Okay? So, if a person is working in a public school, okay, we have a Christian teacher in a public school whose job is to bring at least a little, I mean, I, I have several friends like this that are, they're working at a public school, but their kids are homeschooled. Funny thing, you know. But yeah, they're Christians, they believe in homeschooling, but they were stuck, you know, because they didn't know at the beginning. Now they're trying to do everything they can to kind of remedy that situation in the public school. But their question is, am I in sin for taking government money? Because they're paid, you know, from the government. And I say, no. The sin was committed where the money was, when the money was taken from us. You're now taking the money from the, from the robber, <laughs> from, from the burglar himself. So this is not a sin. But you need to make sure that that thing doesn't impede your ability to resist that government. Now, the moment you see that it, it impedes your ability, like... The moment, I know you're a 501c3 organization, right? Okay. So, it's not a sin to be a 501c3 organization. But the moment a government agent comes to your door and says, this is what you're supposed to preach because you're a 501c3 organization, the next thing you need to do is take that thing and hand it to him and say, get out of here before we shoot you. Okay? And then preach that thing. <laughs> so, this is, this is what it is. There's no sin in it as long as you know what you're doing and you're working for the kingdom of God. I tell that to, to cops as well. You know, like I told you at the beginning, I believe police is an evil institution. Police as a whole. Are there good Christian cops, like a small percentage of them that, that work in the police and are really doing a good job? Yes. Is it a sin? No. As long as you're working to undermine the evil in, in that institution and actually bring it to nothing, you are a good guy and you should be doing that. If you don't know what you're doing, better not be a cop. Leave. Uh, find, find an honest job to do. All right. Uh, but what would repentance look like if a mainstream sort of evangelical church began to try to adopt a more biblical view of government? What would the fruits of repentance look like? I, I told you about Tammany Hall in New York City. Uh, and I don't know if you've all read the history of New York City and uh, who Tammany Hall was. Okay, you, you probably don't, but I, but I tell you. Tammany Hall was a powerful political machine established by uh, Irish Catholics, Roman Catholics in New York City. They used the fact that <clears throat> back in the 1830s, a whole bunch of Irish Roman Catholics moved to, emigrated to New York City, and so they, they started building their political machine on that. You know, they were the Democrat Party, uh, they were very corrupt, and, uh, and eventually they, they controlled the city for 
all the way until the 1890s, and I think the first defeat came at some time in the 1890s. How did that defeat come, from, come, uh, come by in the 1890s? There was a Presbyterian minister, you know, the Times Square Presbyterian Church that's in New York City. You know that church? It's like a landmark. When you go to Times Square, it's right there between the skyscrapers. Anybody who's built in Times Square. That church defeated them. It was a Presbyterian minister. His name was Charles Parkhurst. It's a funny thing because his wife's name was the same name as the name of Karl Marx's daughter. But she wasn't Karl Marx's daughter, okay? <laughs> she was Eleanor Marx. But that's how I know that beat. Bit, bit of history because it was really interesting. Up to that time, every preacher in that city was afraid of Tammany Hall or the Protestant pre preachers. And nobody tackled politics. Charles Parkhurst delivered three sermons against police brutality, against corruption in the city, and against the whole system of taxation in the city. The next election was lost to Tammany Hall. You've got to have preachers who stand up here and preach against Caesar, preach, preach against any kind of injustice. They don't have to be everybody like me with an accent and, and kind of looking like a tough guy. They can be soft-spoken, but they have to teach it. They have to preach and teach against it. This is how it's going to start. This is gonna, how it's going to look like, I, I believe, you know, in, the, in these days. All right, that's the questions that I had written down. Does anyone have anything on your mind that you'd like to ask you? Um, you are an advocate for homeschoolers. Should a homeschooling family register with their state saying that they are homeschooling their children, or do you think they should just do what they're going to do? Hold on just a second. Let me repeat it. The question is, should a homeschooling family in a state that requires registration should they register or should they fly under the radar? Well, I'm an Eastern European, and flying under the radar is kind of in my blood. <laughs> so I would, say, I would say don't register with the state. I wouldn't even worry about it. You know, I don't think you should. I don't think the government deserves any voluntary submission on our part. I look at the government. And I think you should start looking at any government as an occupation army. That means you submit when you're forced, but when you don't have to submit, you don't submit. And fight them anywhere you can fight them, resist anywhere you can resist. And if this is something that you can get away with, you know, and, and confuse them, thwart their plans, I better not, you know, register. Uh, let me piggyback on that. I think I saw you write an article about uh, one way of resistance is to make your submission as expensive and costly for the state as possible. Correct. Would you go into that just yeah. a little bit? Correct. Every time, every time you're asked to submit, you also need to find ways to make it expensive. Every time I stop by a cop, I'm starting, I, I start asking him questions. I know I'm not going to get answers because most of them don't know the answers. But I always ask questions like, can you show me the law that allows you to do this? Can you show me this law? Can you show me that law? 
Is, is there anything, I mean, am I obligated to sign here? I don't want to sign until I bring them to the point where they're exhausted. I always do that. You know, I do that with all the other government agents I have to work with. I mean, uh, thankfully, in America, you don't have to work too much with any other government agents except with police. In Eastern Europe, we're just experts in that. You saw that guy that was asked by some government agency, uh, environmentalist agency, that to allow, to allow them to go on his land and count some kind of a frog or something. Did you see that? Did you all see that? He sent him back a letter, which was like two pages letter. He said, yeah, basically I do agree, but I want you to have this and this and this. You have to have passed the test for counting those frogs. I want to see that. It's going to cost you if you don't have any place to, to pass because there's no place like this. He said, I can give you that, $750 per resident, $1,200 for non-resident. Uh, you got to have this and this permission. you, you got to be qualified to do this and this. And I offer all these services for my territory here. So if you want to go through all this stuff, I mean, I'm okay. This is what it's going to cost you. Also, you cannot have more than this number of uh, local people, uh, more than this number of people that are outside of the area. So you got to hire local people. you got to show me all the documents that they're local people. They must have lived here in the area for so long. I mean, something like this. I mean, uh, I'm paraphrasing. He sent it back to them. In a, I think this was a very clever way. Alexander Solzhenitsyn, in his book, and I don't, I don't suggest that y'all read that book. You know, this is a book that I don't, because you're going to be depressed. I mean, I was depressed as an Eastern European. I've seen some of the things, but it, and I, <laughs> and I've experienced some of the things in a certain measure. You will be severely depressed if you read that book. You got to be really strong in in spirit to be able to read it. But in one place, he is in that. Um, concentration camp in Siberia and they and they find out that uh, by by their own regulations all these concentration camp guards are supposed if, if you send them a written letter of complaint I mean complaint in the concentration camp but if you send them a, letter, a written letter of complaint they're supposed they're uh, they're obligated to respond within two weeks so they kind of found a way to smuggle. Remember the old, uh, what do they call it, indigo sheets, like uh, uh, carbon, paper. carbon, yeah, carbon paper, or we call them indigo sheets. I, I remember that. That's what. But anyway, and they started doing the same letter for several people, like right. So it's just different people signed on the bottom. So everybody would send a letter like this every week. That kind of cluttered the whole bureaucracy. And at some point, they were so exhausted, they 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 had to give them some liberties. <laughs> because the people kept writing them and they had to follow their own. And, and, and I suggest that, that we start doing that. We, we, gotta, we gotta clutter that bureaucracy and, and let them taste their own medicine and make our, you know, any submission that, you give, that we give to them must be made as expensive as possible. I don't know how it works in all situations. I wish I did, because I would have write, written a book on it and probably made a lot of money on it. <laughs> but, but I would suggest if there are cops around, Cops would know very well how to do that. Because one thing that I know from my friends who are cops is one thing that really scares the daylights out of them is paperwork. That's one reason why they sometimes, in, in some places, like in New York City, they would rather uh, murder a person on the street than arrest them. Because there's less paperwork involved in, in, in a dead person than in a person who is taken to jail. And, uh, and, and that's the sad reality, which can be used for good. 
can be used for us to clutter them with, you know, make them taste their own medicine. But, but I think that's, that's what we're supposed to do. We're supposed to starve the beast. We're not supposed to submit to the beast. We're not supposed to feed the beast. We're supposed to starve the beast and in any way possible. All right, any other questions? Yes, ma'am. I have a question, but it's a comment. Uh, our son has told us, and he's with us, thankfully, said that most people don't understand they can say no that when they're asked to have their car searched or whatever. They can say no, but they go ahead and say yes because they don't know they can say yeah. these things. Yeah. Well, I was told that because, you know, I had a... I had a problem last night. I haven't committed anything. I just asked the officer something, and he said, "Okay, I want to look, see. I, I want to inspect your car on the inside." Then I later, when I talked to an attorney, he said, "You shouldn't have said that. You should have resisted it." <laughs> yeah, but you know, I know what to do next time, which I did actually next time. And the cop was pretty exhausted with me, but he knew he was recorded, so he. He couldn't go full rage on me. <laughs> so, I mean, he could have—he could have shot me, <laughs> but he didn't. So, yeah, I would say every time we can resist. I mean, don't submit. Don't submit voluntarily. You never submit voluntarily to a pagan government. You never submit. A judge who is issuing a just sentence against a criminal, yes, even if the judge is limited by the law. Uh, because the law, for example, demands that he gives a, uh, a, 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 the law demands like double restitution for theft. American law demands that he is sent to jail. You know, a judge doesn't have, doesn't have a lot of options there. But if a judge is giving a sentence to a thief, you know, that's okay. Support that judge. Um, we had a situation in the church down in Houston with, um, uh, <clears throat> kind of a sensitive issue, but biblically, the man should have been, uh, the man should have been uh, executed for what he did. He was given jail, and we had to support the judge because the judge said, you know, if you ask me, I would have executed him myself. <laughs> that's what he said in private. But, but he said, that's all I can do. I can support that judge because it was a real crime, you know. So, but, but anything else, do not submit to an unrighteous government voluntarily. Submit only after you're forced to submit. Make it expensive for them. Make it psychologically expensive. Make it financially expensive. Make it, you know, morally expensive. Preach, preach on them. Tell them you're doing the wrong thing. Tom Woods recently was stopped by an officer and he, I'm not a criminal, he said, why, why aren't you after criminals? I mean, you're supposed to be after criminals. The cops said, well, I'm just doing my job. And Tom Woods told him maybe he shouldn't. Oh, that's a new concept for the cop. So, yeah, that's what I believe. Anything else? Comments, questions? Would you advocate paying your speeding ticket? Say it again? Would you advocate to pay your speeding ticket? Uh, I don't know about New Mexico, but in Texas, it takes forever to take it to court in some places, like I have a speeding ticket of two months ago. I just went to the judge and I said, you know, I first, you know, harassed the cop for a while. I said, I want to see the evidence. He said, no, the court is going to see the evidence. I said, no, the evidence is in your car 
and you're my accuser in court, you cannot keep the evidence because it's in your it's in the thing that you, you're holding. That means that between now and the court and and, and my court date, what you're going to do is you're going to recalibrate that thing, and I wouldn't know. Nobody will be able. So this is this is against the law. And the cop was oh. And then he was saying, no, you got to sign here that you're going to appear in court. I mean, he just didn't want to argue about it. I said, I want to sign you. You're not giving me the evidence. Well, he said, I'm going to arrest you. <laughs> we got, and it was all recorded. I'm going to use that in court because he didn't even answer my questions. He was supposed to answer my questions because they were legal questions. So I went to talk to the judge, and the judge said, yeah, we'll appoint your date. It was two months ago. I still don't have the date. I haven't paid it. <laughs> it's still not on my record. <laughs> <laughs> so I don't know what's going to happen. Most of the time in Texas when people say, I don't know about New Mexico, but in Texas, many times when people say, I'm, I'm have, I have a court day, they go to court, the cop is not even there because he knows he's not going to be able to defend his position. And they rely on the fact that you're going to submit voluntarily and you're going to pay into their coffers. So I'd say don't pay them. Just go to court. If the cop is there, just ask him, I want to see the evidence. He said, well, the radar is the evidence. Well, you recalibrated the, the, ra the radar. What is he going to say? No, I didn't. But it was in your possession all the time. He didn't allow me to take it. We didn't put it in, in custody. <laughs> right? If you're, a, if you're a party to a, to a court case, are they going to allow you, as a party to the court case, to keep important evidence in your home? How would they allow a cop who is a party to the court case to keep evidence in his car? And evidence that he can actually take a screwdriver and, you know, recalibrate every time. <laughs> so, yeah, it's, it's, everything is fine with it. You know, and, and, and I think that should be brought to their attention. That should be, you know, all these little details should be brought. I mean, it may work with some judges. It may not work. But I think we need to try. Uh, there was a case that I actually posted on Facebook by, by a black guy who was accused. That was a very interesting case. He used some, he used some trick that nobody knows in his state. Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, that trick that he is just going to court. And usually it doesn't happen because the court doesn't want to bother with these small cases. And uh, usually the cops have their way. Uh, if, if there is not a, a court case. Uh, if, no, the, the issue is this. The case goes through a grand jury. But the defendant can waive his right to a grand jury and go directly to court. And if the case has not been through a grand jury, the court dismisses the case, which is always good for the defendant. You know, and, and he found that out, and he basically does that. And, a lot of, and he said a lot of people that know about it actually have done that, and, and they have dismissed the cases against that. So we got to find all these little things. We got to starve the beast. I don't know how we're going to do it. Some of us are better at it than, than others. We've got to start doing that. At every single possibility: starve the beast, resist the beast. So. Anything else? And one thing that we all need to remember: don't buy into that propaganda that our local people are good, lo local authorities are good, it's just the federal government that is bad. Don't buy into that. 
I know you got a lot of good people working as cops here, working the, on the county level, maybe the local tax collector. The issue is not these people individually. The issue is the whole system of, of executive government that is set up to control non-criminal people. And this system must be resisted, even if you have to stand face against face with the guy that you love, He's a good Christian, he goes to church, and you know his family, and so on. you got to stand up to his face and say, I'm sorry, I have to do that. I love you, I know I'll see you in heaven, but here you're on the wrong side, and i got to do that. All right, we're going to close it down then. Thank you both. I appreciate you. Thank you all.